Do me a favor, grab your bulletin, and let's engage in a conversation as we talk about uh, being intentional. I'm going to give you a working definition, and I do pray that you would be a student today of God's Word and a student of the heartbeat of Jesus as we get into this uh, conversation. A Christ follower who is intentional, here's what we mean by that. A Christ follower who is intentional is connected to and consumed with the person, the power, and the presence of Jesus Christ who then goes out and spreads that life onto other people. So when we think about being an intentional disciple of Jesus, an intentional follower of Jesus Christ, we've established that our working definition of a disciple is a person who desires to be all they can be and the best they can be for God's glory, who then in turn helps others be all they can be and the best that they can be for God's glory. Now, here's something I would pose to you as a question. Think about it. If you were searching for a leader, if you were searching for a leader, what qualifications would you look for? What would be some of the essential characteristics in that leader? What are, what, what are you looking for? Would it be character? Would it be knowledge? People skills? Giftedness? Values? Work ethic? What would you look for? Reality is oftentimes we look for the wrong things. We look for charisma more than we look for true character. I've established with you over the weeks past that when your giftedness takes you further than your character can sustain you, shipwrecks are bound to happen. But what would you look for? So as you start to kind of uh, come up with your list of qualifications, would a servant make the list? Would you say one of the things I look for in a leader is a person who's a servant? Now, I think that's a crucial piece of being a leader. Here's a working definition. It's in your bulletin. A servant is willing to do the undesirable work for the sake of others. They're willing to do that which is undesirable for the sake of others. They have a strong sense of worth in God's eyes, and they have true compassion for other people. A servant. A servant is intimate friends with the greatest servant of all time, and they desire to extend his legacy onto that next generation. They're close friends, best friends, intimate friends with the greatest servant. They're available to extend the grace of God to friends, family, and even strangers. They're not afraid. They're willing to lay aside their own personal agenda for a greater cause. When I think about living an intentional life and being an intentional servant of Christ and follower of Christ, those are some of the things I look for. Servant. Has God called us all to be servants? Absolutely. Jesus makes the statement, the greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who serves, serves. So when you think back over your life, who's had the greatest impact on your life? And what was it about this individual that impacted you so greatly? All of us have been touched by someone. But when you stop, you go, what was it? Why do I value this person so greatly in my life? And I guarantee you, when you cut them open and start to look at their DNA deep down inside, they served. 
They cared about other people. They wanted to be a blessing for other people. They wanted to make a difference in other people. Now, Mother Teresa, she was a lady that lived an intentional life. Last week, we looked at Billy Graham, and we talked about the years of 70-plus years of ministry and proclamation and the character and the integrity that came out of Dr. Graham, and we talked about how he lived an intentional life. But when you looked at, you look at the life of Mother Teresa, a lady who left the comforts of wherever she was, and she went to Calcutta, and she wanted to extend hope and healing to those people that were dying of leprosy and major diseases, Listen to what Mother Teresa said. She said, let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces that we've received from the Lord ourselves. And let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, even a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. When you start to look at her life, you, you, you start to admire the fact that she was not applauded because she hung out with all these uh, celebrities, if you will. She chose to go to the unloved, the uncared for. And she said, our real passion is not to keep these people alive as they die, but we just want to allow them to die with dignity. We, we want to serve them until the end. Who is the most intentional life to ever live? Jesus Christ. And he said, the son of man has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I've come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And right there in those last hours of his earthly journey, Jesus gathers his disciples. They leave the Mount of Olives. They make their way over to what is called the upper room. And while they're walking there, Jesus is talking and teaching, and then they get there, and we pick it up in John 13. I want you to see this. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of his love, full extent of his love. Jesus, knowing that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God, he was on his way back to God, he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, taking a towel, he girded himself. He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Then Jesus said, Peter, my concern really is not hygiene, it's holiness anyway. Then Jesus, after washing the disciples' feet, he took his robe, put it back on, went back to his place at the table, and Jesus said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and master, and rightly so. This is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must, must, must wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern what I've done, you go do. Now, this is the last hours of Jesus' earthly life. And I want you to get this. What teaching did he want to cement in the heart of the disciples right before he goes to the cross? 
And Jesus emphasized serving. Now, he's in the upper room. And in the culture of that day, when you entered into a guest's home, the person who was a servant with the lowest rank would come over and wash the feet of the guest. The problem here in this text is that it's a private meeting. It's only Jesus. It's only the disciples. And, and, and so they look around. They've walked these dusty roads in Jerusalem. Their feet are dirty. They wear sandals. And they're looking around. And none of them was willing to do what needed to be done. And when you read the text, it says, Jesus laid aside his robe. For a rabbi, his robe was a statement of identity. It was a statement of authority. And Jesus takes off his robe and willfully lays aside his identity or authority amongst these guys. He was their teacher. He was their rabbi. He was God in flesh. And the Bible says he took a towel. That, that is the statement of a servant. That is laying aside and becoming the lowest of all rank to become just a servant. None of the other disciples would do this. Because if one of them would have stepped to the plate and said, I'll wash feet, what they would have been saying is, I rank lower than the rest of you. I'm the most inferior disciple out of the bunch. But they had had a powwow just days earlier, and they wanted to talk about which one of them was the coolest and the greatest. And they wouldn't do it. So what Jesus Christ does in this moment rebukes the pride of these disciples. And what Jesus is communicating, guys, if you're going to represent me, you've got to do as I'm done. You've got to lay aside whatever position, whatever title. You can't leverage your authority and be my disciple. You've got to lay it aside, and you've got to be willing to become the lowest of lows. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others is more important than yourself. The great kenosis passage, if you're ever going to have influence and impact in people's lives, it's going to be because you were willing to be a servant. So here would be some questions I would ask you and ponder this when it comes to what Jesus did with his disciples. What assignments are below me? What assignments are below me? Then you've got to ask the question, what tasks are too small for me? No, 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 I'm the CEO, I'm the boss, I'm the, what tasks are too small for you? And then you've got to ask, am I willing to risk being inferior to other people? Am I willing to risk not even being known, getting no name wreck, getting not my name in the paper? Am I willing to risk it just for the sake of others? Am I willing to become a divine nobody for the sake of the gospel? And that's what Jesus is emphasizing right before he's to be crucified. I want to give you some principles. And I want you to think about this in your own journey. Who do I admire? Who do I respect? Why do the people that I admire and respect have such impact and influence in my life? When I start looking at people in my journey, it's not the ones with titles. It's not the ones necessarily with power. It's the ones who love. It's the ones who care. It's the ones who, who serve. Here's some principles regarding authentic servants. Authentic servants are secure in their identity. 
Identity will always precede activity. Verse 3 says, Jesus knowing, knowing that the Father had put him in complete charge. Jesus said, all authority has been entrusted to me in heaven and on earth. That he came from God. He was on his way back to God. And here's what I would challenge you with as you sit here today. Do you know who you are and do you really know whose you are? Do I really know who I am in Christ? Have I established that root system? Because if you do not discover who you are in Christ, your flesh will always want to revert back and uncover who you were apart from Christ. You will try to leverage whatever your greatest highlight moment was of yesterday. But if I can allow my identity to rest in Jesus and him alone, when you look at, again, Mother Teresa, when you look at Billy Graham, when you look at some of the people that we admire the most in the evangelical community, you conclude they were just servants. So here's some critical questions. Do I really know who I am? Do I really know why I'm here on this planet? Do I ultimately know where I'm going in life? Can I live with eternity as the backdrop? I mean, these are all identity questions. Am I securing my identity in Christ? I know my purpose. I know what motivates me. And I did studies years ago on this whole identity in Christ thing. But you know, based on John chapter 1 and based on John 15, the scripture says, I'm God's child and I'm God's friend. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so when people say, uh, what kind of relationship will you, do you have with God, with Jesus Christ? I go, I'm, a, I'm his child. His child? Yeah, I want to look like my daddy, act like my daddy, behave like my daddy. Um, I'm, I'm called a child of God. Is there an identity that trumps that one? Then John 15, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. I no longer call you servants. I call you my friend. So when I start to think about my identity, who, you are, who are you? I, I'm, I'm a friend of God. A friend of God, not an associate, not an acquaintance, not, not just a distant connection. I, I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. Really? That's my identity. And because of that, Romans 5.1 says, I've been justified. God, God says, do you not realize I've declared you righteous? As far as the east is from the west, all that crud and junk in your past, do you not realize when I look at you, I look at a person that I say that I have declared through my shed blood is righteous. I, I was meeting with a guy on Friday, and we were sitting there talking through some things. And he was like, I'm still struggling uh, forgiving so-and-so for what, this, uh, what he did. And I'm, I'm still struggling forgiving so-and-so for what they did to me two, uh, two years ago and five years ago. And I said, well, you just received God's forgiveness 100 days ago. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's about right. And I said, can, can you do this, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with a friend, whether it was somebody that you're bitter at, can I stop and look at this conversation and go, I am looking, I, in my mind, in my mind, I am looking at the disciple that Jesus loves. I, I don't care what he's done. I don't care where he's been. Do I have the ability, Martha, do I have that ability to stop and go, 
The disciple that Jesus loves is talking to me, Chad. Can I tell you that changes the whole dynamic of conversation? How can I be mad? I almost used the P word. <laughs> Ticked. How can I look at a person with a twisted perspective and think, this, this, the disciple that Jesus loves is talking to me? That, that's what God calls you. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, you've been bought with a price. You belong to God. That's me. That's part of my identity. Colossians says I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm complete in Jesus Christ. If I'm redeemed, I'm purchased by him. If I'm forgiven, all of my junk has been dealt with, past, present, and future. And if I'm complete, it means I don't need anything else to validate me. I'm complete in Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals completion. So knowing who you are and liking who you are frees you to be who you are in Christ. When you start to study authentic servants, what you'll see is they're secure in their identity. Here's a second thought. True servants, they live their worth. They don't have to prove their worth. And this is a huge thing. This is a huge thing. I was out and about about a year ago, and this guy who is lost and who's yet to become uh, even a C confessed Christ. I mean, he's still probably an infant B in his rationale. He was using all this knowledge and power kind of statements. And my friend who is a believer, once the conversation was over with, he's like, man, why do you think he does what he does? Why do you think he uses that kind of position and has to leverage his knowledge, etc. I said, because he has to try to prove that he has worth. He can't live his worth. His worth is not rooted in the gospel. His worth is rooted in himself, and he's only as good as his last performance. So he better perform very well right now to show everybody he's worth something. You ever seen people that constantly have to prove their worth? Jesus got up from supper, set aside his robe, and grabbed a towel. We serve because we get to, not because we got to. We, we serve because we get to based on the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, not because we have to. We're not forced to, but we're invited to partake with Jesus and do as he did. Are you trying to prove your worth? No. Servants don't ask what's in it for me. What can I gain from this? That's not what a servant asks. Servants are not attached to their own personal agenda. They're not doing something to get something. They're not working you so that you're going to benefit them. If I learned anything in all those years, those 20 plus years that Barb and I served in the athletic community and with that entertainment culture, they were so used to people wanting to get close to them because they had money, wealth, and all this so that what others could get. And when they realize, you don't want anything from me. Well, you don't have anything that's going to complete me because I found my completion at the foot of the cross when I cried out to Yeshua to save me. You don't have anything that's going to make my life any more full. You may have some earthly conveniences and comforts, but based on my study, those things are going to burn one day. And people want to know, are, are you leveraging something? Are you working me? And when you come into a scenario as a servant and you can live your worth, you, you, you just ask the question, how can I make things better? 
how can I be a blessing to these people right here? How can I be a giver and not a taker? How, how can I contribute something in the moment to maybe be a blessing to other people? Servants never say, I didn't sign up for this. That's ah, not part of my job description. There's a lot of things that we like to do that must be confronted with what needs to be done. But I'm just telling you right now, authentic servants do their best with what they have. And one of the things that we care about here is we would rather have a thousand people. Whatever your gift mix is, whatever your talent is, we would rather have a thousand people radically serving than to have this so-called perfect church that's run by just a few elites. You'll see that the Cross Loganville is made up of a, a variety of ragamuffins that come from different pedigrees. Most of us are Sooners and Muds, Gentiles. But we just want to come together and resource what we've got and work together. We're not looking to have this perfect environment. We were talking to my buddy Matt back on the sound today, and it's like, no, we don't have to have the best lights. We don't have to have the best smoke and mirrors. We, we don't have to have the shining balls. That, that's not who we are. We want the church to leave the building. We don't want the building to become the end all of what we do. We, we just want people that are coming together with grateful hearts saying, I'll serve, I'll give, I'll, I'll take part in that. I like that vision. I like that mission. You're trying to connect people with Christ and others. I can do that. You want to reach 1,500 people with the gospel over the next five years? I want to reach them and teach them and train them. I want to be a part of that. So we never value here what we do based on bricks and sticks and how many butts are in a seat. We believe God inspires you to do what you can with what you have no matter where you're at. And if we start to live that out, we get pretty free. Here's the third principle of an authentic servant. They're secure in their identity. They live their worth. They don't have to prove their worth. But they find joy in serving other people. They find joy. Jesus poured water into a basin again to wash their feet. He found joy in serving his boys. He knew, earthly speaking, that he had about 24 hours left with these guys. He didn't have to leverage his authority. Let me take care of these boys right here. But I, I, I want to give them a model. I want to give them a standard. I want to show them that as I die and as the Holy Spirit is poured out here in about 50-something days, I want them to know that the greatest impact they'll have in the world is because they're serving. Amen. Maybe St. Francis got it right when he said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Maybe it's because of the way we live our lives. Maybe it's because we become broken bread and spilled out wine. Maybe it's because we bought into what I said last week that we are nothing more than stewards and managers. We don't own anything anymore. We gave up all rights of ownership. And so when we're looking at it going, wow, I, I can go out and be a blessing. I can be a giver, not a taker. God is calling me just to take care of people. There's joy in serving others. We've got a girl in the church. She just got diagnosed here recently with some cancer issues. And this was so, so beautiful to me. So this girl is going in on Tuesday and they're going to put a port in her and they're going to start chemo and different things that are going to happen in her life. Well, as soon as Barb got wind of that, she sat down and she made her kind of this chemo pillow that she could put on her seatbelt because she knew that the pressure pushing on that port could cause a discomfort. And she made that thing this week and she brought it to that girl's husband. 
because she's going in Tuesday, and she's like, I just wanted to bless her. She didn't do it so anybody would know about it. She just did it because there was a need, and she said, I can do that. I, I can minister to that need right there. And there's so much joy in serving other people. Not, not because you're going to be applauded, not because there's going to be a check written, not because somebody is going to stroke you on Facebook. Just because, hey, that person cleaned up, that person served, that person gave, that, that person doesn't need any credit. Do you know what oftentimes crushes a fellowship? And we crush this kind of stuff pretty quick here. When we see a person who's got insecurities and inadequacies and they have a need to be needed. And as soon as they are not asked to participate in whatever that assignment might be, they get their feelings hurt and they want to gripe and complain and act like the world's coming to an end. All they're telling me is my ability to serve authentically is hindered right now. I'm functioning out of who I am and people not who I am in Christ. I need some help. I'm not, I'm not capable of serving right. And we want our whys to be right. You hear me talking? We want people to serve, but we get exposed oftentimes. And when there's joy in it, Chad, we go, there's joy in taking care of other people. There's joy in blessing other people. There's joy in taking a meal to somebody who's knocked down. There's joy in making a blanket for a baby that was just born. There's joy in helping. You fill in the blank. Here's a fourth thing. Authentic servants multiply their influence by empowering others. You will multiply your influence by empowering other people through a servant's heart. Jesus said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and master? Yes, that's what I am. So if I washed your feet, you must wash other people's feet. You can go do this. I'm about to multiply my influence by empowering you. But the way I'm going to empower you is I'm going to have to show you what it looks like. Write this five-part process down. It will absolutely work. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things you've heard from me and seen from me in the presence of many witnesses, go entrust these to other faithful, godly men and women who will entrust them to other people. That's what he says. So here's kind of the equipping and empowering process. This would be good for you to have. One, I model it. You hang out. You can watch it. You can observe it. But I'm modeling it. And I see this happening even in our own family. Just model it. Model it. Model it. Barb was saying not long ago when Benji was like four years old, and we don't know why he put a tie on, but he would stand on the fireplace like he was preaching. Well, daddy ain't wearing no tie, homie. I don't know where you saw that one out, but you got the other part of it right. <laughs> but if you see my little Hannah take to the kitchen, you'll go, what's up? She, she, she's seen her mom do it. Well, watch me. She's in the kitchen. She's taking care of us in that area. You model it. Then you start to mentor. Mentor. Check this out. I do it, but you're going with me. I'm going to go do this wedding, but you're going with me. I want you to see how we kind of build up to it. Some of the things we do. I'm going to do a funeral, but you're going with me. I'm going to go speak, but you're going with me. And so mentoring is, I'm taking you with me. You're going to shadow I'm going to go do it. You're not just sitting at a distance. Now you're taking notes and you're watching going, all right, I'm being mentored. Then you go to the third point, monitor it. Now you're going to do it and I'm going to go with you. You're going to do it, but I'll go with you. 
So again, picking on Benji today, a couple years ago, Benji was like, yeah, dad forced me to share my testimony. I'm like, okay. I didn't see any arms tied behind your back, big boy. You're stronger than I am now. At least you think you are, but you are. But you do it, but I'm going to be with you. Nick will walk with you. You, you can do it. Then he comes back going, I, I, I want to do that again. You can do it. You, you can do this, but we'll be with you. And so when you start to do this, Dustin was at a church for 17 years. Dustin, did they ever give you a Sunday morning over there at that other church for you to preach and teach? No. Well, the third week you're here, you're on. Really? Yes, I've been wanting it. And now, Dustin, here in about six weeks, you're going to do it again. And Dustin, right before Easter, you're going to do it again. And Nick had never spoke on a Sunday morning. He had never driven the entire message, and he did it, and he was phenomenal. He's like, I think I, think I learned a lot. I'd like to do it again. I said, I'm glad you, you want to do it again because you are in four or five weeks. You're going to do it again. And how do you do it? You mentor, but then you monitor. You do it. And if I do it all, how's anybody else going to grow? Benji was telling me last night that I need to do a, a teaching, uh, if you will, on the healthiest church in the New Testament. He said, you ought to do a series out of Philippians on the the qualifications and, you know, the, the manifestations of what, what a healthy church looks like. And my assumption was he wanted to do a couple of weeks of it, so I hadn't thrown it back to him yet. But when you start doing, you know what you want to do? You want to do it. Hey, I can do that. And so you start to monitor it. Then I motivate you. You do it, but I'll encourage you at a distance. Hey, hey go do it. We'll sit down and talk before you go. We'll go so, sit down and talk before the game if you will, but you do it, I'm encouraging you. Then you come back, and then here's where you multiply. Now, you do it, but you take somebody now with you. I didn't raise you up so that you could just do it. We're passing the baton on to other people. So, so there's people that come here who's only been saved for six months. We had a girl do this not long ago. Listen to this. This is crazy. And she goes, I, I signed up to serve with the kids. She goes, I don't even know those Stories they're talking about with Jonah and David. I've never been around church. I'm like, well, that's good because them little kids probably don't know most of them either. And you're in the same boat. You can learn the stories while you're teaching them. Well, I didn't even think about that. Well, that's a way for you to grow. Now, there's going to be somebody else in there with you. The empowering process is that you model it, you mentor, you monitor you motivate, you multiply. And that's what Jesus did with the disciples. You will multiply your influence by empowering other people. You've got to walk with them. And I'm like, that's what we do. People see what people do. People see what people end up doing. They say about 89% of learning is through what we see. What, what, what do you see? Only about 10% is through what we hear. My little dude, Caleb, personally, he does struggle with dyslexic issues. He struggles with reading text. He, he really does. He battles this stuff, and he's fighting through it. He's crushing math. He's crushing these other things in, in school. But here's what I promise you. You let him watch a five-minute video on YouTube on how to build a table, he'll go out and build it. He don't have a learning disability. He's just got a learning difference. 
Public school says, oh, he's got a learning disability. No, he don't. He just learns differently. He's fearfully and wonderfully made. There ain't nothing disabled in there. And there's a lot of us that have learning differences. We, we see things different. Hey, can you make this? Yes. He made at their school at Bethlehem a back wall of pallets and all this stuff that they were checking him out of school to let him go to Home Tebow with this other teacher. And they're like, hey, can you build this for us? He's like, I'll build it, but you help me. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Is he going to do well? He's going to do well. But he's a visual. And there's some people that's like, come on, I want you to see this. I, I want you to do this. That's how we serve. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, you're going to go with somebody. You're going to hang with somebody. We want to motivate you. We, we want to we model this for you. You can do it, Paul. You can lead that small group. Jai, you're going to be leading a small group before long. I don't care if you haven't been saved, but six months or six weeks, you're going to be trained so that you're going to start to impart that to other people. We're not going to sit and soak and die. We're going to get our butt out of the seat in the game and start participating. Come on, somebody. That's what we want to do. We want to be in the game. Last point here, Rager. Give it up for Rager, man. Welcome back from Mexico, Rager. Glad to have you back, bud. Luke made an observation that he gained 1.2 pounds while he was there, so I'm so fired up for that extra enchilada. So here, here's, here's the next thought. Servants live a blessed life. Jesus made this statement. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. Say it my way, a player doesn't give orders to his coach. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. You want to live a blessed life. Jesus is looking at his disciples saying, if you will do and model with the right why and start to serve, you're going to live a blessed life. I had a conversation this past week, and this couple was like, well, we're... we're Struggling through what is the roles and responsibilities within marriage. We just wanted to know what the church's position on this is. And I said, I've got an assignment for you. Well, I've been doing a study on what a woman's role is. That's good for you. Why don't you follow Jesus and see what a servant looks like? Why don't y'all compete with each other to see who can wash each other's feet the most. Then you won't worry about what roles and responsibilities look like. You won't be saying the man is the head of the house. Oh, if you're the head of the house, then you better be washing everybody's feet. Greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. You're blessed if you serve. Now, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do. Y'all hear me talking? I'm just being straight up with you. I came home from church on Wednesday night. We were here for a, a while. Had a partnership class. Man, it was so powerful. And I'm like, man, I am so ready to get home. It's about 9.15. Whoo, I'm so happy. And I pull in the driveway. I'm like, yes, they've taken the trash up to the road. Thursday morning's pickup day. I'm like, I like the way them kids serve. 
And I start to walk into the garage, to walk into the house. And I'm like, you've got to be stinking kidding me. And there is a pile of cat vomit crap something laying right there <laughs> before I'm to take my first step in. And I said, Hannah, come here, baby. You know I don't want most of them cats anyway, but I do buy the cat food and feed them because they're your cats. Hannah, did you see that there? She said, I did, Daddy, but I knew you were coming home. <laughs> you know I can't do that. I'm like, I know you can. <laughs> you can. You just won't. But there's a lot of things we do we don't like to do, right? But when we are able to confront what needs to be done, and lay aside just what I like to do and to go, what's going to build up this body? What's going to make this person better? How can I be a blessing in her life? I mean, there's conversations you end up having. We have all the time. Our staff does one-on-one -on -one talks. But it's like, what is God calling me to do? What is God calling me to risk? What assignments have I ignored because I think I'm above that? Oh, I, I, I'm not taking care of kids. You, you might be training the next Billy Graham. The mission is, we're not taking care of kids. We're reaching, teaching, and training the next generation to connect them with Christ and their world. You, you hear me? We're not out parking cars. We're out there reaching and teaching and connecting people as they first come in to have a healthy first touch so that by the time we get them in the doors and a greeter meets them, they have a, another good touch experience. Is this manipulating them? No, it's to just say, we're here to serve and we love you. Can we all serve? Can we become broken bread and spilled out wine so that others can taste and see that the Lord is good? Jesus said, go into the world now. Go into the world and live out some extravagant acts of kindness and bless other people. Now, now, again, back to St. Francis. Jesus even said, then others will see your good works and they'll glorify the Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Francis said, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Jesus says, they will be so overwhelmed with your love and kindness and tenderness and servant heart that they'll want to glorify me because it will blow their mind. And I believe one of the greatest messages that we have to share with this world in which we live is they're like, every time I see that person, he makes things around him better. He serves, he encourages, he blesses, he gives. He'll go the extra mile. Let's do it.